title of the message this morning is The Wonderful Promise. The Wonderful Promise. Can anybody use some wonderful news? A wonderful promise? Perhaps you're just overwhelming me this morning. I just, you're totally overwhelming me. Could anybody use a wonderful promise over here? All right, thank you. All right, so if you want to stand to your feet, if you're able, we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to read verse 6, and if you could read verse 7, this is the word of the Lord to the prophet Isaiah. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government shall rest upon his shoulders. and He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Wonderful Promise. Today we're going to look at the birth of Jesus that was forecasted 700 years before it ever happened. So our text is one of the most talked about, one of the most beloved text in all of Scripture. It's when the Isaiah, the prophet, announced the arrival of the child. What you need to understand is that the context then was very much like the context now. It was written to a culture that is very parallel to the culture now. And that is, it was written at a time where there was incredibly turbulent times, very tumultuous times there. And so the kingdoms of Israel and the kingdoms of Judah were threatened by the expanding Syrian empire, which was then encroaching upon those nations. And Ahaz, who was the wicked to the core king of Judah, was in power. So you had political upheaval, you had chaos, you had turbulent, tumultuous times there. And come, coming crashing through that is a wonderful promise of a king to come that would literally change everything for everyone for all time. So Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 is a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy about Jesus Christ predicting the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, which was, of course, fulfilled by the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem 700 years after this was prophesied. And Isaiah's prophesy, what he does is he gives four traits, four names about the Messiah. And he says that he is going to be a wonderful counselor that he will be mighty God, the eternal father, and the prince of peace. And we're going to see this morning that these are the very four things that you need in your life today. Now, names in the Bible are very important because names not only convey who you are, but they convey your character, your person. So the birth announcement, now think about this. You all get birth announcements. Imagine if you got a birth announcement that announced what was going to be true of the child. Like if the birth announcement said, my daughter's going to be a concert pianist. My son is going to be an MLS soccer player. My daughter's going to be a neurosurgeon. My son's going to be a teacher. You'd be like, what the heck? This, this gives four of the dominant characteristics of Jesus Christ the Messiah 700 years before he was ever born. Isaiah starts by saying that, for to us, a child is born. Christmas is all about the child that has been born. That now God has flesh and God is dwelling among us. God has skin on him now. And he comes to our planet so that he might be Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
So Christmas is about God coming down to our planet here. Jesus, you know, came through the birth canal of a peasant teenage uh, girl there, Mary. He possessed all the qualities and characteristics of humanity. So what God did then is God determined that the Savior of the world must be himself, a human. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 talks about this very thing. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Notice it says every respect, every way, everything that you'll uh, encompass, you'll uh, face in your life, Jesus Christ understands because he was a man. I hope that we can catch how incredibly powerful this is. Not one temptation, not one trial, not one tumultuous circumstance will you face that Jesus himself does not understand. And so uh, there is no struggle. There is no season of sadness that he cannot sympathize with. There's no hardship. There's no difficulty. There's no arduous situations that he won't understand. Jesus gets us because he was one of us. He gets us because he was just like us. And so Jesus knows what it's like to be us because he was. He understands what it's like to be human and have the human frailties that we do because he was. God became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So this means that you and I can go to him with anything at any time. Because Jesus is not this distant, disconnected, unknowing, insensitive, uh, one that's never experienced our pain and our struggles. No, he understands it all in the midst of a broken and a fallen world here. So it's also very important to understand the second thing here that he says this, unto us a son is given. Some people want to a fossilized Christmas and just like all about the little baby in the manger. No, it's about the baby that grew up to be a man because God came in the flesh and he was Jesus, but he was fully man and fully God. Human and divine at the same time. See, both the son of a virgin peasant teenager and the son of almighty God at the same time. Now, the next part is something that's going to happen when Jesus returns again, but it says this, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. Now, how many people know that this is good news because we need Jesus in America today and, uh, uh, and we need this right now, the government really to be upon his shoulders because governments look like whoever's leading the government. You know this is going to be a good government. And so Jesus can shoulder the weight of the world. Think about that. If, he, if the government shall rest upon his shoulders, if he can bear the, the governments of the world upon his shoulders, that's good news for you and I because he can certainly bear the weight of your personal burdens, huh? Like you have burdens, don't you? You have burdens, and so uh, you don't have to carry the burdens alone is what this is saying here. You can bring your burdens to Jesus, right? Okay, and so the Bible says, in Psalm 55, cast your burden upon the Lord. Watch what will happen. And he will sustain you. Now think about this. Think about this. I wonder if the reason sometimes we feel like we're not 
able to sustain and persevere and hang in there is because we are not casting our burdens on the Lord as a way of life, as a lifestyle. I will stop and pause when I'm feeling uh, overweighted with burdens. I will bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, I feel like this is more than I can handle. I don't have it in me to, to, to do this. And you just bring that burden to the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this. says that casting all your cares upon him, why wouldn't you do that? Because what he cares for who? For you, right? For you. And so that's what you do, again, as a way of life. You learn to do that. You have cares and burdens, and you're bringing them. You're, you're casting them upon the Lord, knowing that, hey, he's the one that cares about you and knows everything about you there because he sees your life. And then it says this. And his name shall be called. I were given four names, four specific realities of the Messiah that every one of them could change your life today if you will appropriate them. The first thing he says is that he's the wonderful counselor. Now, we have a great time and we go somewhere, maybe to the game or whatever, you're Disneyland or things that you enjoy out to dinner. Go, that was wonderful. It means much more than that. What it means is it's something far beyond that that's like, that was supernatural. Like, that was like a God thing. And so he's a supernatural counselor. He's a wise counselor. He's wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Everything about him is wonderful. Think about it. So his birth was wonderful. His life was wonderful. His works were wonderful. His words are wonderful. They are alive. His resurrection is wonderful. His ascension is wonderful. His coming again is wonderful, right? He's wonderful. And so when you read the Gospels and you read about the life of Christ there and you look at his teaching and you look at his wisdom and you look at how he interacts with the leper and how he raises the dead and casts out demons. And so and you read all that and you say, wow, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. So he is the wonderful counselor, wonderful in counseling. Now, during the dark days in which Isaiah wrote, remember the impending uh, Syrians, the enemy were physically encroaching upon them, wicked Ahaz and all that. The role of the counselor was, was critical and essential, and they were crying out. They were longing for some kind of counsel about how to do life. So Jesus, then, is the ultimate counselor. Well, what qualifies him to be the ultimate counselor? Well, one, the Bible says he is the wisdom of God. That kind of gives you a little, positions you well to be a counselor, right? Have it being the very embodiment of God's wisdom there. He's the mediator of God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not a bad qualification, that he can guide you, he can direct you. He can perfectly balance grace and truth. Not all truth to kill you, not all grace that you never change, but a perfect balance of grace and truth. Now, we live in a time where uh, there are counselors and there are therapists, and I love them, I refer to them all the time. I married one, okay? I am married to a professional counselor. And so sometimes I say, I think I need some counseling. But anyway, but I'm just joking around. Anyway, 
So, but we need professionals and all, and, uh, and I esteem them highly, but I also want to remind us that we actually have access to the wonderful counselor, all right? So we need the horizontal, but we need the vertical too there. And so his counsel is unfailing and flawless. That's why you need his counsel. His counsel, of course, is, is a replete in the scriptures there. And I want to remind us that Jesus is the one who understands us like no one else does, ultimately qualifying him to counsel us. And so he's the one that can help us like no other because he understands the totality of the human condition as only the creator could understand. So he gets our tears. He gets our heartache. He gets us. He understands our deepest needs. He understands our deepest desires here. And Jesus' power is there to help us, not just to advise us, but the dunamis power to help us. And so wherever you are, the reality is this, that every one of us, myself included, we face situations, we have weaknesses and vulnerabilities and strongholds and frailties for the rest of our life. So you can be honest, you can be ruthlessly honest and transparent and vulnerable before the wonderful counselor. Nothing's going to shock God. Nothing is going to uh, uh, about your weaknesses is going to shock him. So God can help you with anything that you bring to him because he is, for all time, the wonderful counselor. Your pain that no one else understands, your suffering, your torment, the things that keep you up at night, the things that are temptations, the burdens, your, your mistakes, your failures, your brokenness, he gets it all because he is done life just like you. So you don't have to pretend. You can be real. If you could see me on a behind-the-scenes projector, you would say, oh, my gosh. Like, he's really raw with God, and I am. I just tell him, like, what it is and what I feel or, like, what, am I, what I'm doing and and, I, and, like, and I'm trying to filter it through how he sees my life. But you can be bro- brutally honest because God sees and God knows and God cares. And so he's a wonderful counselor. And my question is this. What is it that you need to bring to the wonderful counselor that you have not brought? What are you holding back from the wonderful counselor as if he, he doesn't know? So this Christmas season, I just want to throw it out there, is that, uh, what do you need to let him into your life about? So, because he's a wonderful counselor, because he has inconceivable ways, okay, of assisting us, and his power is beyond our imagination. So, we need his counselor. Secondly, it says here about Jesus that he would be a mighty God. Now, think about that. Is there anything that you need about God that you have to have a mighty God? How can you do life if he's not a mighty God and his being a mighty God doesn't come to expression in your daily lives? How can you survive if he's not mighty? So it literally means that he's a mighty God, that Jesus Christ is a personal 
physical representation, the revelation, the unveiling of God himself. So Jesus is a man, but the God-man here. Christmas is the appearing, the revelation, the revealing of God himself in Jesus Christ. He's a mighty God here. In other words, mighty means that he is the mightiest among the mighty. There's no one more mighty than him. It means that he has infinite, unfathomable might. It means that he's mighty to save, mighty to heal. Uh, He's never at a loss, never overwhelmed, never surprised, never left clueless, never defeated. No enemy, he's mighty God, no enemy will ever prevail over him. It means that he is holy, infinite, and sovereign over all. He's a mighty God. He's the creator of the world. And so it does not get any more powerful than that. So, but I want to think, to realize, here's the point of application. Because of who he is, you in the midst of your powerlessness and our helplessness and our spentness, then at times uh, when we're wondering, is there any help? We have almighty God to, to help us. And yet, even though he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus then, at Christmas we recognize, he was born in a manger. Think about that. Think about the the, the rawness of that, the the raw stench of animals and just the absolute rawness of that situation. And God who could be born anywhere that God wanted to be. God, you know, could have had anything that he wanted. And today he could have been born in New York or L.A. and the, the nicest hospital on the planet and with entourages of people. And he bypassed all of that and said, I'm going to identify with humanity and I'm going to be born in a manger and that's what I want. And so, uh, and that's what God was like. And then you think about us. Think about how we are. And, uh, and we are, I would just submit, we are utterly unlike that. And I would like to remind you and I'd like to challenge you to think about this at Christmas, how you are. Because God, although he was that mighty God. He came clothed in absolute humility. Philippians chapter 2 says he's in a place where he could go no higher, though he was equal with God. And then you see as he descends down lower and lower, and he, uh, in humility there, in a, in a downward trajectory of humility, ultimately there to the place he could go no lower and dies as a criminal. You think about us, how we are and how we're wired no. And so and I just want to give the example. I, I, I'm nothing, I, I like this person, but I want to give this example of Queen Elizabeth II because everybody's maybe mindful of her because she just passed away. There she is. When she came to America years ago, she came with two tons, 40,000 pounds, 40,000 pounds of clothes. I mean, you can do that when you're the queen. She looks, I mean, she looks resplendent. I mean, look at the hat. I mean, she's like, she's rocking it there, you know. But check it out. She came with two outfits for every single day and every event she would be at. She even brought uh, clothes for funerals just in case she got invited to funerals. She had her hairdresser there. She had an entourage of people, her hairstylist. She had two valets. I mean, and, and uh, she just spent, this is years ago, just a cool 20 million on her little trip to America. 
cover all the expenses. Now, contrast that with mighty God born in a manger. Maybe we could rethink that because what God does here in Christ is he kind of throws the notions of authority and power and a serving and servanthood uh, uh, into our existence and our thinking. So additionally here, he is the eternal father. I think this is so, so vital and so important. How beautiful that he would be known as, this is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, not God the Father, but Jesus as Father here, eternal, everlasting Father. See, he's like a father. Think about this here. You have a father. Maybe you had a father. I had a father, but my father's no longer here. I'm a father to three sons, but I will not always be here. But see, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you will always have a father. You always have an eternal father who is above all things and beyond all things. And before I unpack this, I want us to understand that the role here that he's going to be, that he's going to fulfill over all of humanity. Okay, as an eternal father, and he is fatherly and fatherlike to us. And so he's full, how is that? He's full of love. He's full of compassion. He's full of tenderness and the warm, affectionate, uh, father-like figure there. And I recognize that we have our own story, and I have my story, and you have your story. And some of you, your father's story was amazing, was awesome. And I'm looking out at some of you, and I know your fathers, and I know that they're like legendary. Like some of you have like off the charts, 12 on a scale of 10 fathers. There are others of you, though, that your father, that was, that was not your story. And your story was maybe your, your father was absent, or he was addicted, or he was uh, unloving, or he was perhaps abusive, or uncaring, or uninvolved, unequivocally uninvolved in your life, or whatever fill in the blank that he was not the kind of father that you would have dreamed that you had there. But Jesus is entirely not like that. There is no darkness in him. There's only light. There's only goodness. And so Jesus is the eternal father that cannot do anything but good. That's who he is here. He's gracious, compassionate. He's never impatient. He's merciful. He's forgiving. Uh, you know what like, so as a father, I just want to confess to you as a father, one area where I could fail is that when one of, one of my sons really totally crosses the line, I sometimes struggle with forgetting. Now, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the normal stuff. But I'm talking about the once in a decade stuff. Like I sometimes don't, I, it's very hard for me to find it in me when I feel they've betray, if they betray me. Hard for me to forget. God's not like that. God has no issues with that at all. He forgives there. And so he encourages. He guides. He supports. He's, he, uh, he's never temperamental, never irritated, never in a bad mood, never impatient. And he is your eternal God. He is light in your darkness there. And so you can trust him at all times, in all places, in all ways, because uh, there's no darkness within him. So finally, Isaiah says that he's not only a wonderful counselor, and he's not only a mighty God, 
He's not only the eternal, everlasting Father, but lastly, He's the Prince of Peace. Think about it. Peace. And He's the Prince of Peace. He's the ruler. He's the commander. He's the leader of peace in your life. And so I want to remind you that the prophecy, again, was spoken into people in tumultuous, dark, chaotic threat of the enemy uh, and the tension was high. Tension was very high. And the enemies were attacking them. And their own leader was evil to the core. And if they needed anything and they were longing for anything, it was peace in their lives. Can you imagine how bad it must have been? How chaotic it must have been? And then what comes crashing through that is this prophetic declaration that a child will be born and his name will be the Prince of Peace. I mean, how did that affect the people there? The Prince of Peace here. And Jesus is the one who would rule the world and bring peace to his people and peace to the nations at the end of the age. And these people, I would submit to you, that they were desperate, that they were desperate for some kind of peace in their lives. And I wonder who among us that you also are desperate for some peace in your life because our circumstances are like theirs, that you just want a measure of peace in the turbulent times in which we live. I mean, would you agree with me that the last couple years have just been like cray-cray, crazy, out of control, uh, politically, economically, environmentally, personally, relationally, spiritually, where you see things and you hear things, and I have these conversations, and you think, you've got to be kidding me. And just where you think it cannot get any more wild and any more crazy, and uh, then it even gets more crazy. And it seems like every time, you're like, I just, I just got to come up for air. And then the new, next chaotic situation erupts, you know, sending everyone into another spiral of craziness. And it's been relentlessly turbulent the last few years, Perhaps in your life right now, you're thinking, you know, this Christmas season, I think I wouldn't mind leaning into a little bit of peace. That's something that I would really like to have, like peace on earth, like on my earth and my home here. And you think, I'd like to have a little, little peace back in my life here. And then there it goes again, maybe in your household, next level, chaotic or whatever. And, uh, and things start getting more crazy during the season here and more chaotic leading up to Christmas and I talked about it last week where more shopping to be done, more eating to be done, more decorations to be done. Uh, by the way, with more shopping to be done, thank God for Amazon Prime, but just a little aside there. And so, uh, and then you got to do the rounds of Christmas. And if I could tell you that as a kid, I dreaded the rounds of Christmas with every fiber in my being. I loved getting the extra stuff, but soon thereafter, as a little tyke, I began to understand that the reason that I'm going to have another Christmas is because my mom and my dad are not together. And there's a trauma of that as, as a little guy. And then and it just got inside me where I'd wake up on Christmas Day and look at all the gifts, and as a little, little guy, there would not be joy in my heart. And then that continued on until I had my own kids. And then when I go to visit my, my mother who lived in Las Vegas, 
in a mental health institution. I will go on Christmas Eve. We do, uh, we do early Christmas, or we do it Christmas Day, and then we drive. And I have vivid memories, vivid, vivid memories of going to Las Vegas, and we'd see my mom the next day, and I'd have my little children. And they'd be knocked out and sleeping. And I remember, and it haunts me, I'd be walking through, and I, I didn't gamble or anything like that, and I don't drink, but I'd be walking through the casinos on Christmas Day with the kids draped over me or Christmas Eve. And I just begin to, I just begin to dread Christmas. And I have to be completely honest, and though I've recovered much of that, but there's still a bit of me that those memories dominate in my life. Maybe you're here and you feel like, you know, there's things about Christmas that you love, but there's things that you don't love. And that, and you can dread that, and you can dread that, okay, now we got to do the, you know, visit the mother or the grandmother or the Jerry Springer experience. For those of you that know who Jerry Springer is, it's like Jerry Springer all over again. And so, and then the whole world feels anxious and on the verge of losing it. And you can feel it. You can feel it. It's like it's almost palpable. And you have houses and families and workplaces. And there's so much tension and so much conflict. And you can just feel it. And then social media doesn't help helping making people lose their minds with the relentless loss and pain and betrayal and disappointment. And, uh, and we're just thinking, can I just, get, can I just get one moment of peace in my life? And so and the truth is this. The truth is this, is that you come into the Christmas season and you want to create that. And we're waiting sometimes for our external circumstances to somehow bring us peace here. And I, and I need to tell you, that is never going to happen. It's just never going to happen. And so there will be ongoing trials and tribulations and pain and suffering and just stuff from a broken and a fallen world, and it's just never going to happen. You're not going to find peace. And that is why you and I must personally, must personally invite the Prince of Peace. Invite the Prince of Peace to take up residence afresh and anew in your heart, in your mind. That's your only hope, friends. That's your only hope for peace. And so he is the Prince of Peace, knowing now, December 4th, 2022, that we would need his peace. And so true peace can only be found in Christ. Watch, watch. It flows from the inside out. It never flows from the outside in. See, he is our peace, Ephesians 2.14. Watch. He's our peace. Not anything you can create. No circumstances, no situations, no place, no vacation. He is your peace. He's all time your peace there. The Bible says, Jesus said this, look, I have said these things to you, that in me, not in your situation, not in your circumstances, not in your whatever, but that in me, you may have peace. See, that's what he told you straight up. That it's in me. That, that's why you want to be in Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. But watch, in him, you're in the world. You're always going to have stuff and tribulation swirling around you, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And so there's a, the, 
the peace here, the inward peace here that passes understanding that you can have. By that, I mean that you just look around and it's like, man, things are, things are unhinged and things are wild here, but I, just, I can rest in God's peace here. That is that inward, watch, friends, it is that inward sense of well-being. It means of, of a wholeness, of, of harmony, and a reassurance that no matter what happens, he is with you and he not, will not leave you or fail you. And you have that security there. He is our peace. In me, you will have peace. And so here I want to ask a question as I close. What might it mean for you that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and what would that look like in your turbulent and difficult season of life, your painful season of life? How does Jesus bring, being the Prince of Peace come to expression in your life? That's the question here. And all the businesses that accompanies the season and we're ramping up into Christmas, I want to encourage everyone here to take time to welcome King Jesus and welcome him afresh and welcome him anew into your heart that he might protect your heart and minds here and that you would experience him, not just hear a talk about him, but experience him as the Prince of Peace. That's ultimately what he wants for you. For unto us, a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end to order it and to establish it upon the kingdom of David with judgment and justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform it. And so this Christmas, may you experience him as the wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that there is no one like you. Thank you that you know exactly what we need even on December 4th, 2022 and the time in which we live. And we need you to be who you are and all of who you are in all of us. We thank you for your word. May you bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.